Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another Android Central podcast. We hope you're doing well, and we hope you're going to enjoy this episode because this is a very special Qualcomm-esque episode. My name is Shruti Shaker. I'm a writer here at Android Central, and I've got my lovely guest with me, Jerry Hildenbrand. Hi, Jerry. Hi, Shruti. How are you? I'm a little nasally because I have allergies, but it's all good. I've got Nick Sutrick. Hi, Nick. Good morning. Wait, it's afternoon. I don't know what time <laughs> of the day it is anymore. Time is is just a concept. It doesn't it doesn't exist. That's fine with me. <laughs> and I've got Alex Doby back on the podcast. Hello, Alex. Hey, it's good to be back. I was just thinking. I think this is my first pod with you since you took over the show. Um, yeah, it's, it's been a while for me. So yeah, it's good to be back. Yes, and I'm really glad that you are on the pod specifically today. Um, because we're gonna we're gonna have some fun with it. But before I, I get into the conversation, uh, this the reason why I call this a, a special Qualcomm episode uh, is because actually last week Nick and I had the opportunity to interview Chris Patrick, uh, Qualcomm's general manager of handsets. Uh, so essentially, you're about to listen to a pre-recording of that interview in which we talked a a lot of things from uh, their new chips to what their future is going to look like, to supply chain issues, uh, to just a whole slew of things. And it's it's really fun to listen to. So we're going to uh, get you to listen to that first. And and then once you're done, you're going to you're going to come back to us. So have fun and listen to that interview. All right, so we've got some really exciting news coming out of Qualcomm on May 20th. We're recording this on May 9th, but don't worry. Don't worry, guys. It's all good. So essentially on May 20th, Qualcomm is going to be announcing that Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1 is going to be available on a lot of devices, including Asus, ROG, Black Sharp, Honor, IQ, Lenovo, Motorola, Nubia, OnePlus, Oppo, Realme, Red Magic, Redmi, Vivo, Xiaomi, ZTE. I mean, there's a, a lot of devices. There's going to be better gameplay, uh, which means faster processing, pro-grade capture. There's going to be unbeatable intelligence, which means AI, full throttle, full throttle connectivity. My bad. I'm sorry. So uh, we right now. Hi, Chris. How are you? I've got Chris and, and obviously Nick, my lovely Nick Sutrick. Um, how are you two doing today? Hi, Shruti. Hi, Nick. Yeah, this is uh, Chris Patrick from Qualcomm. Yep, and uh, Nick here as well. Happy to be here. <laughs> <laughs> so we're really lucky to have you, Chris, because it's almost like we have a little bit of an insight to what this announcement is all going to be about. I mean, obviously, it's about um, Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1. I, I was joking with Nick and saying, uh, try saying that 10 times. What a tongue twister. <laughs> And then, of course, we've got announcement from Snapdragon Seven Gen One. Um, also, a lot of a lot of things. Nick, I, I know you have a, a bunch of questions that you want to ask uh, Chris. But before we get started, Chris, do you have anything that you want to say generally about about the announcement that Qualcomm's coming out with? 
Sure. Yeah. First of all, by the way, thank you very much for having me on. You know, it's a pleasure to to talk to you both. I had a chance to listen to the podcast and and definitely spend some time on Android Central to see uh, you know another perspective on the industry. So I really I both. really hope that you you don't find us embarrassing because we do a lot of joking <laughs> around on the podcast. <laughs> no joking, uh, joking. I like so that's that's perfect. No, yeah, we're excited about both these platforms. You know, the Snapdragon uh, Eight Plus Gen One. And then, uh, and then the Snapdragon 7 Gen 1, you know, both of these, uh, yeah, we feel like are a major leap forward for the industry, major leap forward for the Android ecosystem. And uh, yeah, we're excited about the technology in both of those, excited to get that uh, technology out to the end user. Totally. So, uh, you know, as I mentioned, Nick and I have come up with some great questions and hopefully, you know, you're not too scared of us, Chris, because... Are you ready? Are you ready for some, some You know, questions? I have my legal team standing by, so let's let's see how the questions go. You're Thanks. making it sound scary, Shruti. No, I'm not. I'm just kidding. No, these are super easy questions, I promise. We'll just jump right into the first one. Okay. So, Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 was a it was a nice step up from the 888, right? We had a, a really good increase in performance. I know on all the phones I've reviewed so far that had that chip, um, games run really well. Um, I, I think at least for us, it was a little bit of a surprise to see a, you know, the next step up so soon, 10% faster processing is, is impressive, but, uh, we're particularly curious that there's a 30% improvement in power consumption so quickly after the release of, of that original chip is, is this by chance built on a different process than the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1? It is built on a different process. So the um, you know both of the devices, the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 and then the 8 Plus Gen 1. I know it's a little bit of a tongue twister, but uh, you get the hang <laughs> of it. Um, yeah, they are built on, on different processes. So the 8 Plus Gen 1 is at uh, TSMC. Uh, so they're both 4 nanometer, but uh, at TSMC. Yeah, I will say I think the, the performance improvement, uh, we have both performance improvement and a power improvement. Yeah, the power improvement partly comes from you know the improvement in the, the transistor and the and the technology from the foundry, um, but really from its full end-to-end system optimization. You know, we had a lot of new and kind of innovative technology in the eight Gen One, and the eight Plus Gen One. We took all of that and then carefully optimized you know every aspect of the SOC, every block, um, as well as using the the latest and greatest from that technology um, from the foundry and put it all together in a, a brand new kind of end-to-end optimized solution. So very heavy software compatibility. If you developed use cases and things like that on the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, they move very easily now to the 8 Plus Gen 1. But you get some improvement in performance and then a big improvement in power efficiency. Nice. Okay. Um, and then with the the name, right? So you have Snapdragon 8 Plus. Does that sort of imply that we can expect future generations of Plus models maybe sometime after the release of the base model? That's exactly right. That's exactly right. Actually, this is something that Qualcomm has been doing pretty often in our premium tier device in our 800 series is we've, you know, we've often had a, what we used to call a pro device uh, that would come somewhere in the middle of the year, maybe six months or, or, or so after right. the first uh, platform. So this really continues that tradition. Okay. Um, in this case, you know, we have really a pretty exciting step up in terms of power efficiency, uh, where usually the gains are a little bit smaller. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah, I know that's what I was saying before. Was it was surprising to see the numbers that high? Um, so that's, and also I think moving from four to another four nanometer process, it it makes it maybe even more interesting there. To some extent, the technology node, you know, the number of the technology node, it actually matters a little bit less now than it did used to, just because once upon a time, you know, that really directly meant if you've got a very very good ruler uh, plus a magnifying uh, microscope. 
you could just directly measure the uh, the transistor size. Right. Now it's a little bit more complicated, right? As we move to FinFET and then the future, even more complicated structures, it's yes. actually hard to actually measure the size of the transistor in the same way that we used to. Um, so it gives you some indication of the relative strength of the two technologies, but uh, but that doesn't mean they're, they're directly the same. Cool. Um, so moving into this um, interview and sort of what we were expecting to see out of the announcement, maybe what we were hoping to, um, I know I was looking for some Adreno-specific announcements, and they were right there in the press release, which you know got, got me a little excited. Um, how has Qualcomm worked to improve the GPU performance of its new chips, and what can the company continue to do to lead in the space? Okay, great question. We're, um, yeah, <laughs> listen we're very... Chris, listen, Chris. <laughs> okay, we... I'm gonna. I'm gonna be honest. We prepped for this interview. Excellent. We we Chris knew exactly what he wanted. Listen, Chris. Nick knew exactly what he wanted to ask you. <laughs> okay, excellent. I did not know the questions in advance. I want to make sure I am completely unprepped. So what you're gonna get is a, a very raw answer. Um, so yeah, no, very good question. So we uh, yeah, we're absolutely focused at Qualcomm on you know one of the most important cases we think use cases we think for handsets, which is gaming. So people love uh, people love gaming on their portable device. Um, some extent in the U.S., but especially internationally, you know, custom, our customers, our customers, customers are very passionate about gaming. So it's a big focus of ours. So we have, of course, the GPU itself, and then we have what we call our Snapdragon Elite Gaming solution, which goes on top of the GPU and the AI accelerator and the CPU and puts all of that together to have the optimum gaming experience. So on the eight. Gen 1, the, the base device, we introduced a whole host of new gaming features. So one of them, for example, was variable rate shading, VRS. So this is very cool. So it says uh, during a game, for example, um, there might be a complex scene with some region of the screen that uh, is, uh, is very detailed, is very important. And for example, a background scene that's not. Or that you imagine a racing game where above the car, there's just blue sky. And so what this variable rate shading um, algorithm does, what this approach does, is use different levels of detail for the shading, what's called the shading part of the graphics pipeline, um, for those different regions. So for example, the blue sky, that's mostly the same. You'll spend much less resources, much less, therefore, power on that portion of the screen, instead spending more of the resources on the detail and the shine of the car or details in the clouds, for example. Anyway, so variable rate shading is one of the places that you know we've led in this industry. And so the 8 Gen 1 plus, 8 Gen 1, and then now the 8 plus Gen 1 introduce what we call VRS Pro, Variable Rate Shading Pro. Um, and now the 8 plus Gen 1 introduces that same capability, but at a much more improved, improved power level. So that means that you, know, you can run the game at a higher frames per second without uh, getting any heating issues at the device, or you can run that same game using VRS uh, longer without running out of battery. That's really interesting that you talk about the heating issue because that was something that Nick kind of found uh, with a, another phone more recently. This idea of gaming has become so important uh, on, on mobile devices uh, and, and we're starting to sort of see that. Um, Nick, I, I know you've been kind of focusing a lot of your time on Oculus and sort of VR and, and AI and AR and all of that stuff. And tell us your perspective a little bit. Right. Um, so with uh, like VR and VRS, like you were saying, um, I know Sony just launched that on the PS5. Um, similarly, uh, with, you know, with, I guess, 
technologies that we're seeing going across these different types of platforms. Um, we saw Qualcomm announce the Adreno Frame Motion Engine back in November. Um, I wanted to know if this was similar to, and I'm, I'm not sure if you're familiar with asynchronous space warp or any of those technologies on the Oculus side, are you? Um, I am not an expert, uh, okay. so uh, glancingly uh, familiar. Um, I, I, yeah, I was curious to see if if those were developed maybe alongside, you know, that that sort of Oculus partnership that went into the Quest Two and the original Quest, or if maybe these could also translate into future VR centric chips. So yeah, that, that's a great question. You know, I'm, I'm less familiar with uh, that specific approach, but you know, I know on a previous version of the podcast, I, I said I didn't prepare, but it's not true. I did listen uh, to one of the previous <laughs> podcasts. But yeah, Nick, I think you were talking on that podcast about foveated rendering, right? In, yes. Uh, in XR, right? It yep. was a pretty exciting technique coming out. So yeah, VRS actually reminds me a lot of that, which is you know the concept in foveated rendering, which I know you mentioned was um, yeah tracking the eye and then seeing. You know, as you're in an X of VR or an uh, AR kind of scene, right? Looking at the place where your eye is focused, and therefore the, that's and focusing all the resources there. So then, as you move out, kind of away from uh, the gaze of the eye, you know, reducing the resolution, reducing either the update rate or the level of detail. So I think of VRS kind of in that same way, which is though now you, you can't tell where the person's attention is, but you can see right, where yeah. the portion of the screen that would have the most impact. Right, so so VRS tries to be adaptive there and uh, and spend the resources in the same spirit, kind of where it's going to have the biggest impact. Makes sense. Um, so both of these new chipsets um, seem to focus on better AI computing performance. Um, I know we've we've seen that um, as you know a heightened importance over the last few years, um, not just in the the camera aspect, but you know also in general computing and a lot of other things the phone does. Um, how do you think this will affect end users? And I didn't know if you had any specific examples of like new or improved processes or features that you know would go along with better AI computing. AI actually is, is everywhere. I mean, it's very, very exciting. You know, we've spent a lot of, you know, I've been in this industry for 25 years. Um, so yeah, over that time, you know, we've been carefully working on, on new kind of direct algorithms to uh, improve things traditional kind of signal processing approach approaches. Um, but yeah, AI unlocks, you know, whole new ways of, of solving problems we used to try to solve and we call kind of a directed way now with these kind of data-based um, approaches. So yeah, it's very interesting. So we're applying those uh, AI ready to the entire chipset, the entire system. For example, on the imaging side, you know, one of the things we just discussed, uh, for example, uh, VRS and, and, and gaming and processing different portions of the screen um, in a different way. Uh, so same way, if you think about um, processing images, whether it's video or uh, or still images, you know, we want to apply different kinds of processing, for example, to skin, then to hair, then to the sky. If you think, for example, of your your brain, right, your brain works very closely with uh, with your retina, with your eye, um, to kind of take that raw information and then add context, right, and using that context to really produce what you think of as the the image that you capture in your brain. Right. So the same way we have AI, right, that can take, you know, this very raw um, data from the, uh, from the imaging sensor through our ISP and then apply context. And that context really make, can make a tremendous difference in terms of the final quality of the image um, by, yeah, giving, giving us strong hints on what different portions of the image um, represent and therefore the best ways to kind of represent them. Uh, we think about things like low light, 
uh, situations. That's something Qualcomm has spent a lot of time on. Uh, in low-light situations, how do you combine multiple images uh, to produce the best possible um, image? Anyways, that's one example on the imaging side. On the, uh, on the modem side, for example, modem and RF, yeah, there's many, many algorithms that are part of that system. Uh, there's so that AI can enhance. So we have, we have some very interesting research going on um, to use AI to better manage, for example, how we use multiple antennas um, to find the optimal signal to get the, the most reliable connection. We have uh, AI as part of our audio processing, right? When we're trying to combine audio signals from multiple microphones, how to eliminate background noise and instead uh, produce the clearest uh, image, like the one, that, the conversation we're having today, how to get the best um, best vocal quality, despite the fact that there's noise. There might be a plane flying around, like just happened a minute ago. Wow, that's perfect uh, timing for a that car that just perfect timing. Perfect, exactly. <laughs> I didn't set that up or anything. I think that was on my end, to be honest. I think someone was driving by and... Yeah. <laughs> so I think with the AI in the Snapdragon uh, 8 Plus Gen 1 and then with the 7 Gen 1, uh, I think we can fix that for you. I'm curious to know, actually, when we talk about AI, I think this seems to be such a, um, kind of seems like a buzzword, to be very honest. Like, you know, everything has AI these days. Everything, you know, from image processing to modem processing to the way your phone is. Really, when it when you talk about these new chipsets, what what drives this company to make it unique and stand out from you know what other companies are doing when it comes to AI processing? And I think that's something that um, you know at Android Central we talk about that quite often when we see presentations from other companies and and they're revealing their new phones. They always harp on oh look at the image quality. We use AI for finding out the right light and for skin detection and making sure that skin tone is, you know, there's just all these buzzwords that people use. And so um, I, I'm, I'm kind of curious to know from your perspective, like how you can break that down and what does, what does it, how does Qualcomm set apart, set itself apart from other companies when it comes to AI? Well, yeah, AI is a technology. So it's a tool, right? It's a tool like, uh, you know, like, like other kinds of uh, tools and things that we have in the, in the system. So, there's sort of raw AI. So we, we have a long, long history on raw AI. You know, Qualcomm was, um, was founded in 1985. Um, and I think since then, we, you know, we spent a lot of our history actually searching, uh, researching kind of neural processing techniques, low power uh, techniques for, for kind of neural processing. Um, and we've taken all that and applied it to the device. So in terms of the capability to quickly, you know, process a network, which is, uh, you know, one of the ways we, we talk about AI processing, um, yeah, we think we're the leaders in the industry in terms of doing that power in a power effective way. Mm -hmm. But yeah, really the beauty of, of AI is not, you know, just having done that work, but really incorporated into the different functions. So that's where, again, you know, we're pretty proud of, of what we've done here. But you're right, it can just be used as a buzzword, uh, which is, you know, I had a great sandwich and now I had a great AI enhanced sandwich <laughs> uh, or something. But, um, but it, it does really have a big impact, you know, in how we do our audio processing, kind of display processing, imaging processing, uh, now emerging kind of modem. Um, so yeah, it has an impact across all those different functions. The other thing we we that how AI fits into it is not just enhancing the functions that Qualcomm provides, but also as just a tool for third parties. Mm -hmm. So for the for the OEM or for the application vendor, we want to make sure we have this rich uh, set of APIs available for AI acceleration, so they can apply their own functions, their own innovations on top of that engine. So totally. yeah, we think we have a strong and, and pretty differentiated solution. 
Totally. So based on the information that we got uh, that you you guys were so kind to provide to us, it looks like there are only Chinese vendors that are employing uh, the Snapdragon 7 Gen 1. Are there other partnerships outside of China? And can we expect devices to launch outside of that region? Absolutely, we can expect uh, devices to launch outside of the region. You know, we have, uh, yeah, we have very strong relationships, uh, you know, across the industry. So yeah, there's virtually nobody in, in the Android space that that's not you know using Qualcomm's devices. Um, the at this point, it's early on the Snapdragon um, Seven Gen One, so we're not ready at this point probably to announce um, our next our, our specific set of customers beyond the ones we've already shared with you. But uh, but yeah, it's going to be a long list, and it's certainly going to be uh, a lot of customers outside of that region. Do you have a timeline for that? Is there, is there, I mean, as you mentioned, it seems to be a little early to be discussing that, but do you have a timeline on what and when we could be hearing more partners outside of the region? I think over the next few weeks, we'll be able to share uh, some more information with you. Absolutely. Excellent. So uh, I have to ask this, and I think Nick and I have been very uh, curious (laughs) Samsung is is notably missing from this list. Um, so does that mean that we can expect future Samsung flagships to continue to use Snapdragon 8 Gen 1 chipsets for the remainder of the year? Yeah, we are very close to Samsung. So very good and long yes. kind of working you guys, with uh, yes. Samsung. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I will say, you know, they absolutely have the right to make their own product announcements. So I definitely will not make any announcements uh, on their behalf. But uh, yeah, we're, you know, again, we're always excited to work with them and they're strong partners of ours. And so, um, yeah, I'm optimistic that uh, we'll see an announcement from them. But you know what? Listen, the processor market seems to be more competitive, you know, than it ever has been these days. Um, And so I'm going from one company to the next. I'm curious to know, does Qualcomm have a plan for how it, um, you know, how to handle the increased market share that MediaTek seems to be enjoying these days, um, you know, as well as the globally shrinking smartphone market demand. Do you have any thoughts on that? Sure. So the, you know, the handset market has always been incredibly competitive. It's always been that way. So again, I've been in the industry for 25 years, all over at Qualcomm. And yeah, over time, it's, there's always been, been strong competition. So uh, yeah, it's one of the, the few industries, I think, that has this scale and this pace. Um, and then very, very quickly, um, you know, you can win a design and then the next year, you, it, there's no guarantee you're going to get that same design. So it's very competitive, which honestly we find exciting. I mean, it drives this cycle of innovation. You absolutely cannot take uh, you know, a week off, much less a month, much less uh, you know, a year of a design cycle. So, yeah, so MediaTek, I think, absolutely is a strong competitor. Um, but uh, overall, you know, we're, we're very comfortable with uh, you know, what we've achieved here. We're comfortable with what our focus is. You know, we, what we do is we focus very heavily on the premium and high tier. We certainly we have products across the, every possible tier, but uh, we focus very heavily on premium and high tier. And why? Because those are the, the areas where our technology kind of leadership has the maximum impact. So as we look at you know engineering resources and we look at uh, supply constraints and different things like that, we you know we choose to focus our resources most heavily on the premium and high tier. And so, yeah, financially, we've been very pleased with the results, with the, the share we've achieved uh, in those tiers that really have the the, the most impact on the industry um, in terms of financially, in terms of profitability, but really in terms of setting the direction for the industry. So that's what we feel is our responsibility is to drive technology forward, is to drive this Android ecosystem you know, from the uh, semiconductor side of things to dry, and, and technology point of view to drive it forward. And so, yeah, we're very comfortable um, how that's gone. Mm-hmm, totally. Um, 
before I continue, because I know Nick has a has a, another partnerships uh, type of question. I this is going to be a little bit of a, a broad ended question, but I, I'm really curious to know, and maybe you can or can't respond to this. But how has the chip shortage affected you know Qualcomm and affected the the slew of announcements that are going to be coming? Um, soon, you know, or or has it not really affected you guys, you know, and from more of a general perspective, you know, I think we're seeing ever more so how much importance we're placing on technology and the and the handsets and the products that we're using. And the fact that we're seeing this chip shortage, it, it definitely is so problematic. You know, how has that affected you guys? The chip shortage is absolutely affected, or semiconductor shortage really, right, has, uh, right. absolutely affected, uh, affected uh, Qualcomm, really affected the entire industry. It's really been nothing like it. I think in my um, in my time in the industry, I've never seen anything uh, as broad as as this has been here over the last couple of years or year and a half, um, and um, and maybe extending over the next year ish or, or so. Um, so yeah, so that's it's definitely changed how we do product planning. It's changed you know, how we um, it changed how we look at uh, the roadmap and how we and now we look very much at. At technology and supply and product planning are very much in an integrated way now. So, for example, we have the Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1. And so part of what the, the goal was to achieve in, in that product was providing some what we call supply diversity. So you want to have, uh, you know, be able to do some move products and move devices between, you know, the Samsung version of the part and the TSMC version of the part to make sure we're maximizing every opportunity and getting customers, you know, the parts they need to, to launch and be successful. On before we move away from, I guess that portion of it, right? On the uh, just general competitive nature of the processor space right now, we saw Samsung and AMD announce a partnership. They had a lot of strong language about how RDNA two is going to have all these great, you know, graphics. It's the same architecture as PS five, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, I'll be honest and say it was a little disappointing. Um, you don't necessarily need to comment on that. More of what I want from you, I guess, is is Qualcomm planning on making similar types of announcements in that, you know, they're they're pushing the graphics edge into more of a you know console quality for mobile. And can we expect to see um some unique features, uh, you know, as with ray tracing on that RDNA2 architecture or something like that? Okay, that's a good good question. I feel like that's written. <laughs> that might have been written by my team. That seems to, okay. The very good question. You can, you can, so, Chris, Chris, you can also tell us about your thoughts on the AMD Samsung partnership if you want. Hey, feel you free know, to comment you know, on it. I just don't want to crush see. you. And <laughs> it's just us, right? Nobody else is listening. So <laughs> absolutely, whatever. No, okay, no one perfect, else is listening. Perfect. Okay, so yeah, I won't comment about uh, about the competitor, but um, yeah, I will say I think. We take it as as really a flattering uh, thing that um, you know. Really, we've been driving for a long time here at uh, Qualcomm. We've done, you know, we developed our GPU technology, and then, as I mentioned, you know, the um, our gaming solution on top of that uh, GPU. That's been a big focus of ours. So we've emphasized it very heavily, and it's something we emphasize very heavily uh, internally, and then in, in our messaging. Um, yeah, so we took it as a compliment. I think that this there was a partnership between the the Samsung Exynos team and uh, an AMD to try to bring some of those desktop level capabilities uh, to the handset space because that's really been our focus um, for a long time. So we mentioned you know VRS, um, you know volumetric rendering, and other features that uh, that that we've been focused on um, both for the the eight tier as well as the seven tier. 
So again, so great. Uh, I think that others in the industry are kind of looking at the same kind of approach. But but again, ours is really ground up, designed for the handset space specifically. Uh, what we are doing is taking that technology that you know we've led in um, for quite a long time, which is really very power efficient graphics, you know, for these battery operated devices. And so we're, we're doing the opposite. We're taking that technology and moving it into adjacent spaces. So we use that same technology in, for example, XR, you know, XR, AR, and VR. Right. Uh, we're using that same technology in compute. So we have, uh, you know, broad line now of Windows on on Snapdragon uh, devices using the ARM-based uh, ISA. And so, yeah, we can take that same graphics technology and scale it up to apply it to those different spaces as well. We use the same graphics technology and we move it to uh, to the automotive space. So if you look at kind of infotainment in um, upcoming, a large suite of, of upcoming uh, cars, you'll see a graphic solution, even a gaming solution in some cases, uh, that's based on on the same Qualcomm technology. Um, all right. And then the, the last, uh, I, I guess, not related to that question. Um, so when Motorola sent me the Motorola Edge Plus uh, maybe two months ago now, I got a pair of Snapdragon Sound earbuds with them. Um, I think it was kind of the first time I had really seen the branding on a box. And I know that there's been a, a bigger push for that branding. Um, I've also noticed that it's now in the Snapdragon 7 Gen 1, which means it'll now be in, I guess, more affordable phones, right? Not just flagship devices. So do you think that we'll also start to see higher quality audio in less expensive earbuds and headphones? Or do you think it's going to be still more of a like maybe mid to premium tier branding? No, we think we, we have solutions for Snapdragon sound across across multiple tiers on both the headset side and then on the handset side. Um, so just expand that for a second. So this is, you know, on Snapdragon sound uh, combines kind of technology across both Bluetooth and then the audio codec uh, itself uh, to provide an end-to-end solution for you know, very high quality audio. So there's what's standard um, standard solution available kind of over Bluetooth. And then there's what we can produce with Snapdragon Sound, which we think, you know, really blows away uh, the, the stock solution uh, that you can get with the existing solutions. So, yeah, Snapdragon Sound is definitely um, one of the places that we're focusing very heavily. And so you'll see that across tiers of both of handsets and tiers of, of headphones. So, um, you know, you should never, I think, on any of these, ask a question you don't already know the answer to. But uh, did you listen to it, Nick? And uh, what did you think? <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, it I makes sense to me. So, okay, um, All right. I, I definitely liked the headphones a lot. I, I think they were um, they were really fantastic. I have not had a chance to go on a trip okay. since I've gotten them, which I, I think taking them on an airplane to me is sort of the ultimate test of how well ANC works. Wait, okay. so, are you trying to tell them? Like, can you invite me to your to your summit, your five G summit? Is that <laughs> hey, whatever you do here? <laughs> okay, I know people. I'm gonna I'm gonna follow up on that. We're gonna can figure it out. Please, can you follow up on me as well? I would like to go as well. Thank you. Yes, thank you. <laughs> there you go. No, but uh, Chris, listen before we let you go because you know you've been so amazing and you've been answering all our questions like a champ. Thank you so much. Um, I guess I, I we both wanted to wrap up this session and ask you sort of the future and your thoughts on the industry, the handset space, and and what what are some of your predictions? Because I I think it's really interesting to see how we've seen this industry change. You know, from the first smartphone to you know what we're seeing now to what people are interested in to foldable devices to. 
5G connectivity. I mean, gaming, VR, AR, there's just so many possibilities now. And, you know, from your background and the perspective that you have, we would love to hear sort of your, not only your prediction, but maybe even your wish list. Like, what do you see of this industry? Well, you know, one thing I'm very excited about, you mentioned it actually, but is the, the new innovations in form factors. You know, so I'm, I'm very excited about that. I think foldable devices, um, you know, there's uh, kind of interesting demos, which I know you guys have probably seen um, from different vendors on rollable displays and some of the, the new form factors we can get there. Uh, yeah, to me, very exciting. Um, I remember I had with, uh, discussed with my wife um, the first time we ever got her a kind of uh, a non-foldable phone. Right, we haven't moved away from a clamshell. She's like, "Oh, this is terrible. <laughs> this is not what I want." And now, you know, full circle later, I, you know, I was able to get her a uh, the flip, the uh, Samsung uh, flip, and yeah, so she loves it. So she's back to the form factor that uh, that she always wanted. So yeah, so anyway, so I'm very excited to see the different form factors emerging, driven by you know this exciting Android ecosystem that we have. You know, on on kind of each of these devices, uh, I know we talked about it a lot, but I am very excited to see, you know, imaging as enhanced by AI um, more broadly. Really, you know, the, I just went to a concert for the first time in a, in a couple of few years. Um, and yeah, I could take my, my Android phone and uh, capture some incredible uh, video, incredible images. But still, I know my eye can still do much more than what that camera was able to capture. So I'm very excited to see, you know, with, with the full capability of, of AI, with the full capability of all the imaging and processing techniques we have in these devices, you know, the use cases are going to emerge on, on imaging. And then finally, I think we have such an opportunity here on Android to all work together and, uh, and produce really cross-device use cases that are very compelling. So, you know, for example, I'm going to go on a business trip uh, tomorrow. I'm going to get on a long flight uh, tomorrow. And, yeah, so I'd love to bring out my... Um, my AR VR headset and tether it, you know, hopefully wirelessly to the phone in my pocket and now have uh, three large displays, maybe have a Bluetooth keyboard and be able to just continue working just like I can do at my desk. Mm-hmm. So I think these kinds of use cases are, uh, are right there. I think we have the technology. We just have to all work together as an industry to, to roll it out. So I think that's what's going to come and uh, it's, there's going to be constant innovation. So I'm excited. Totally. And one last question, because you said a lot of really cool stuff. What, challenges do you see coming in this industry when it comes to handsets and sort of achieving some of those technological advancements that you were talking about? One of the challenges we have that, you know, that's maybe unique to the Android ecosystem or different in the Android ecosystem than the the competitive ecosystem around iOS is, yeah, iOS as a central sort of the controlled um, ecosystem, right, versus, you know, a walled garden versus something that's much more open like Android. Yeah, it just takes more work to get us all aligned and all coordinated and all moving in the same direction. So that's the that's the beauty of Android and the sort of the, the beautiful chaos of, of Android also is a challenge as well, is, uh, is getting enough of us together aligned on, um, on new approaches so we can roll out these new kind of cross-device use cases. But uh, yeah, it's an opportunity and, and we're excited about uh, taking that on. Amazing. I think I might title this podcast episode, Beautiful Chaos, Andro- Android, <laughs> colon, Beautiful Chaos. <laughs> That's exactly right. That's what it is. Perfect. <laughs> well, Chris, thank you so much again for coming on our podcast. We are so grateful for you um, for being here and answering our questions.
you know, Shruti and, and Nick, uh, great to finally have a chance to meet you both. And uh, I'm excited. I'm very looking forward to uh, to listening to Android uh, Central uh, podcast when it airs. <laughs> I'm going to be a celebrity. It's kind of exciting. <laughs> You asked for it, and they listened. Our friends at Manscaped just brought back the ultra-smooth package. It's time to stop, drop, and order this premium shaving kit. Everyone knows by now that the Lawnmower 4.0 is the best electric shave for your goods, but if you're looking for a closer shave to go bare down there, then the ultra-smooth package is the perfect set. It's time to get a clean shave and get a great discount with 20% off, plus free shipping at manscaped.com with the code ACP. That's ACP like Android Central Podcast. The Ultra Smooth Package is a specialized groin shaving kit to help you buff, protect, and smooth your most sensitive areas. The Manscaped Ultra Smooth Package is a three-step kit to make your package the perfect package. Exfoliate, gel, and shave. If you don't have one yet, you'll want to grab the handy Lawnmower 4.0 to get a classic trim to your liking and get those loose hairs out of the way. Then you'll take the Manscaped Ultra Smooth Package to get that closer shave. First up is the Crop Exfoliator infused with ingredients that can soothe, clear, and keep your sensitive skin feeling refreshed. The Crop Exfoliator can help reduce the risk of ingrown hairs in your delicate places because nobody wants that. Next up is the Crop Gel. See where you're shaving with the unique clear shaving gel just for the groin. With four essential oils, it's like a spa treatment every time you shave. Last up is the Shave with the Crop Shaver, which was designed for shaving the groin area with confidence. This razor has three precision blades that include extra-wide lubricating strips and a pivoting head for the ultimate groin grooming experience. Say that three times fast. The Crop Shaver is not your average razor. It's smaller, thicker, with a micro-comb bar that allows for the best shave possible from any angle. All three of these vegan, cruelty-free, and sulfate-free products are included, so you know your manhood is in good hands and without compromise. It's time to get up close and personal with the best tools for the job, the Ultra Smooth Package from Manscaped. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code ACP at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code ACP. Again, that's ACP like Android Central Podcast at manscaped.com. Smooth out your fellas with the relaunched ultra smooth package from the fellas at Manscaped. Okay, guys, so you all had, uh, well, obviously, Nick and I, we did the interview, uh, and Nick, I'm sure you still remember everything from it, but Alex and Jerry, I sent you guys a recording of that interview that everyone just listened to, and um, I, I want to kind of, I want to first open up the conversation because I, I, I do have specific areas where I want to get into, but in general, um, what were your thoughts overall on, on, on the interview and what uh, Chris was talking about, and, and any one of you can start. I'm going to start. Um, so the uh, the most interesting thing to me is a couple of things, really. First, they sort of committed to um, making the the Plus series kind of its own thing on a yearly basis. And it sort of informally had been in previous years, right? We had versions of the 865, the, the 888, um, up, upgraded versions that would pop up mid-year. And now they're basically just saying, okay, this is going to be a thing on an ongoing basis now, uh, which is kind of interesting in itself. Uh, second of all, I think a, a lot of the the talk around performance was actually talk of efficiency, right? That's um, part of the reason why it's so much faster in terms of gaming is because you have this more efficient process. Uh, and also boost efficiency obviously means better battery life. And that's one of the areas where I think mo- a lot of Android chips, but especially the Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, uh, perhaps not as great in terms of battery life uh, and you know just heat, heat dissipation in general, as a lot of people would have hoped. Um, so yeah, this is uh, it's interesting pair of chips, and um, 
uh, you know, good for uh, good for the industry as a whole, I think. Yeah, and I, I really want to talk um, more in depth, uh, and I'll get to uh, Jerry and Nick your your thoughts before I do. Uh, I really want to talk a little bit about that uh, processing and the thirty percent improvement in power consumption because I think again, like you mentioned, Alex is, is super interesting. Of course, um, Chris really talked a lot about gaming, and again, I want to get your take on that, Nick. But again, back to that in general uh, point, Jerry, did you have any thoughts on how you felt about about this entire interview? Uh, see, I'm, I'm in a weird position. I I don't like Qualcomm. I don't like Google. I don't like any of these companies. <laughs> I, I want them at each other's throat trying to rip each other apart to make the best products for us. And I, a lot of what I heard, if, you know, the, the promises come to, to, you know, they're true, that that's, that's going to happen. It's going to make these products better for us. I, you know, I, I don't ever see anybody you know worrying about ray tracing on their phone maybe that'll happen give, give it give it a couple of years jerry yeah <laughs> I'm sure i mean we'll be there eventually i i don't i'm not impressed with watered down copycat desktop gaming features on phones yet maybe one day but you know if they want to try to do it and are still concerned about not eating your battery away that's a good thing and that's the thing right not eat, eating your battery away because for the past uh well for, for a long time, but especially for the past couple of years, we've had this situation where um, Qualcomm and Samsung, to a certain extent, with their high-end chips, have really been sort of chasing and trying to out-Apple Apple, Apple uh, you know, especially in terms of graphics and single-core performance, arguably at uh, to the detriment of battery life. And that's where I think, you know, this 30% efficiency um, number is way bigger than we often hear with uh, even going from one generation to the next never mind the half generation that we're we're going now um uh it could be a very big deal yeah and and i hope that you know 30 percent better efficiency in the processor isn't going to equate to your battery last 30 percent longer but it gives them more room to do other things without making your battery life less which is i think the important thing and, you know, they, they will continue to work on, you know, trying to extend the time between charges for, for the consumer. But they also want your phone to be able to do more while it's off the charger. And, and you have to have this. You have to get the, the better efficiency down. And I was really glad to, to see that that's a, a major talking point. You know, that, that's what you want engineers to be thinking about. That's what you want. Uh, product managers to be thinking about because that's what affects us probably more than anything else. And with all this talk of gaming, I should probably mention that I actually have, um, I'm not sure if we can call it, call it the first Snapdragon 8 Gen 1, sorry, Snapdragon 8 Plus Gen 1 device. Uh, this is a device that Asus has sent me, which is, um, the actual name is the Asus ROG SM8475 engineering device. So, it, but what it actually kind of is is an ROG Phone Six sort of prototype with um, a very cool sort of translucent back design and the camera blocked out. So this is an early sample they've sent out, sort of in partnership with Qualcomm, to get people, you know, an early sort of uh, testing sample for this new chip. And um, let me just see if I can power it on. It has uh, some pretty cool startup sounds. <laughs> it is, it is, it is a gaming phone. So that it is accompanied by every action is accompanied by like. 
badass gaming sounds is that no it's not doing anything <laughs> anyway it is powering on um but yeah so i've had a chance for the past few days to um, run some benchmarks on this thing it performs really quickly as you would expect um you know it's it's the latest chip from qualcomm it's in basically a next gen rog phone uh chassis so um it, with all the cooling the extra cooling stuff that 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 would imply right they have uh you know bigger heat sink inside than the average android phone uh, so yeah, it's been kind of interesting to play around with this. Um, I can bring you some benchmark numbers. We'll have them published on the site by the time this is live. Um, but, uh, yeah, it's been interesting to play with this chip in, in a very early form and to get, you know, see the kind of performance numbers that, uh, Qualcomm's been talking about in, in real life. Um, and, uh, yeah, hopefully before too long, we'll have some more manufacturers out with, uh, with more devices using this chip. Yeah, and and um, and I want to get you spoke a lot there, Alex, because and everything was so interesting, and I want to talk about every single thing that you're just talking about. Um, but oh, there we go. Hey, that's cool. <laughs> that's, that's pretty the, badass. That's the armory crate. That sounds Actually, like my yeah. guitar amp microphone Whoa. thing. <laughs> that was super badass. It, it, it reminded me of a transformer. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. So to actually respond to that, you know, is this going to come to more? Phones, um, you know, the list of uh, phones that uh, currently uh, Qualcomm announced are all predominantly based in China. And so, you know, we did ask, are you, is this going to expand into into other uh, partnerships outside of China? Will they launch outside of the region? Of course, we heard from Chris saying that, you know, absolutely, we can expect devices to launch outside of the region um, 7 Gen 1 is not ready to be announced yet specifically to those customers outside, you know, what, what we've shared. Um, but he said, you know, likely over the next few weeks, we'll, we'll like, we'll hear something more. Um, but I, thoughts on that, like, do you believe that? Like, do you think that this will come out into other regions? I, I mean, obviously, if, if Chris is saying that it will, but but how uh, successful will that be uh, once it gets launched out of China? I think we shouldn't read too much into um, the manufacturers that were announced in that press release. Right. You know, there's a lot of wrangling them back and forth that would go on about, you know, manufacturers revealing parts of their roadmap indirectly. So I think probably with with like a Samsung, they wouldn't want to, you know, get too ahead of themselves in, in revealing what might be in certain foldables later in the year. Um, but yeah, I think we'll very we'll very soon start to see this in devices in the West and devices in uh, from manufacturers that are that have more of a presence in the West. The big one for me would be Samsung um, because we have uh, new foldables from them coming obviously later in the year. Um, with the Flip in particular, the new Flip uh, obviously spaces at a premium in that kind of device, uh, and that's exactly the kind of product where you would probably need that extra thirty percent efficiency just to make you know to get the most possible out of uh something in that form factor uh and obviously the extra uh the extra efficiency would go great with uh you know a more sort of tablet-like device like the fold as well so let's go back to that 30 percent efficiency and i want to kind of get nick's take on this because um you know obviously you do a lot of gaming on on your ha- your handset what were what, how did you feel about the thoughts that that chris was saying you know this idea of you know having better cooling performance for gaming um he said some really cool things about how um this processing will will allow for um more detail in like the shine on a car or in the clouds um you know th- those kind of details like I, I know that's really important to you tell me your tell me your thoughts on that i kind of wonder actually if some of this stuff that they're doing is also geared toward more gaming centric, um, you know, not just phones like Alex has, but also other devices. So something like a Nintendo Switch or, you know, this isn't a VR chip, but, 
that stuff is really important on that end because you're talking a device that requires a lot of processing power. And, you know, something like a Quest 2 lasts two hours and change on a charge. And the Switch is the same way. It's like two hours and change, maybe three hours on a charge. So that 30% efficiency is huge for devices like that because, you know, you have already this increase in performance over the regular 8 Gen 1, which, you know, is impressive enough just on, on a half gen. But then that that 30% improvement in power consumption is nuts. Because, you know, it wasn't, um, I think, a week or two ago. Let's see, I don't remember when I when I published this article. <laughs> I'm not like clicking over to the thing. Oh, look, it was a month ago. So Samsung's already working on, you know, the next three nanometer process, which right now we're at four. And the difference between these two chips, you know, the 8 Gen 1 and the 8 Plus Gen 1 is that the 8 Plus is manufactured at TMC. The 8, regular 8, is manufactured over at Samsung. They're both on a four nanometer process. So, you know, by the numbers on a piece of paper, you would think they're the same. But it kind of shows how these different companies can make, you know, sort of the same type of thing in different ways. And that that next generation one that Samsung's working on is supposed to be 50% more power efficient. And this one's 30%. So seeing those huge gains in power efficiency, I think is really an important thing. And I really think Alex made a good point too about foldables. Like he talked at the end about how he's excited about foldables. And I know we were thinking that that was going into some bigger announcement. And I guess it is in a way in that foldables this year should have way better battery life than that last year. Because I tell you what, Fold 3's battery life ain't all that great. <laughs> and the Flip 3's no different. <laughs> Got to charge that thing halfway through the day most times. And that was funny, too, because I remember messaging you and being like, um, is there something like what? Because he mentioned, he, he talks about, you know, what he's excited about and, and this idea like that the form factor of handsets and um, foldables that almost to me sounded like, you know, there is something up uh, Qualcomm's sleeve in the future. Um, and I just thought that was quite interesting that he said that. Uh, I, I want to also get into um, a little bit about, um, you know, performance or improvement in the GPU, GPU performance. But also, uh, you know, Nick, you asked an interesting question about how there's that partnership with AMD and Samsung. Tell us a little bit about that and, and how you felt about what, what he responded. Uh, okay, so I, I know when when AMD announced that partnership, that was really exciting. And, you know, sort of like Jerry said, I'm not sure that anybody actually cares about ray tracing on a mobile chipset. That, that seems a little ridiculous to even expect such a thing in most games. And even then, are you going to notice it on right. a five or a six inch screen? Probably not. You know, even PS5 games is ray tracing. you got to look real close at, oh, look, hey, that one surface has a little more reflection on it. Like it's that kind of stuff is not as big of a deal. Well, you, you notice the frame rate drop on the PS5 when you have ray tracing <laughs> enabled. <laughs> I, I think a lot of of those uh, like ray tracing engines or whatever we want to refer to that hardware, you know, NVIDIA calls it RTX, right? Right. They've ended up using that pipeline for way more important things like DLSS and a lot of other technologies that effectively give you a sharper picture with, you know, the ability to see more details in existing objects while at the same time increasing frame rate and efficiency. So I think, you know, I was really looking forward to those things in that particular chipset and we really didn't get it. I mean, it's 
more or less as bad of an Exynos as most other generations are when compared to a Qualcomm chip. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you guys have a comment on that. Um, yeah, and Adreno is not like a household name. I don't think you would ask anybody what an Adreno is and they would know. Whereas, you know, an NVIDIA GeForce, I would say a lot of people probably know, maybe not most people, but way more than than ones that know Adreno. And and I kind of figured maybe at some point they would try to make this more of a household name in, in the way that they're pushing that Qualcomm and that Snapdragon branding. But it doesn't seem like it's as big of a deal for them, even if they talk about all these extra things that they're doing for gaming specifically. Yeah, I, I don't think that they, from a business standpoint, want to differentiate a GPU brand away from the Snapdragon brand. They, I think it's better for them, for everybody to think, oh, the Snapdragon chip, it does games really well and not care that there's an Adreno GPU tucked away inside the SOC. Yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense because on a PC, you know, you have choice of chips. You can right. mix and match things, and it doesn't matter. Whereas on a phone, you get an SOC. It's got everything inside, and that's it. You don't you don't pick. So, yeah, I mean, I guess in a way, right, I get that. I just, I think, like I said, with that AMD partnership with Samsung, I, I kind of expected bigger things out of them, and then maybe as a response, something else from Qualcomm. I don't know. I, I still have high hopes for the AMD-Samsung partnership. Don't don't write it off yet. Sure. I mean, first-gen isn't necessarily going to count for much. But uh, uh, m- mostly because of what you said earlier, that all these advancements to bring super high-end graphics, oh, it turns out you can use them for more important functions, too. Yes, exactly. So, um, speaking of new functions and and things that are coming, um, both of these new chipsets um, have a very heavy focus on better AI. And, you know, I I think that's a conversation that at Android Central we talk about, and I mentioned this as well in our interview, we talk about AI a lot because AI, as important as it is, has almost turned into this sort of buzzword, which, and, and it's very annoying because it's like, Every announcement we we have, everything that we see is always, oh, better AI, better AI, oh, better for image processing, oh, better for this. And, you know, Chris kind of did go into a little detail uh, into what that looked like for these new chipsets. And I kind of, I, I want to understand, and I, I feel like, Jerry, you might have some thoughts and, and maybe you as well, Alex, because, um, you know, you guys, we've talked about this. We've talked about that, that how AI, it's... It is a buzzword. It is it is a thing. So tell me tell me how you felt uh, when when Chris was explaining. Well, first of all, do you think what he explained when it came to better AI computing performance, um, it was interesting? Uh, and then also, you know how how important is it? Alex, what do you think? Uh, so I think we're reaching a place now with Android, and you kind of see this with Pixel a bit last year, where eventually kind of everything you do on your device is going to be touched by AI performance in some way, whether it's uh, hot word detection for AI assistance, um, whether it's uh, on-device photo features. So, you know, having the power to like look through your photos on-device, pick out faces, that kind of stuff. And of course, the processing of those images when you take photos, because that's, you know, there's a lot of AI involved in that. Um, So, yeah, I, I think 
probably, uh, you know, it's easy to look at just CPU performance increases, but for more meaningful sort of generation to generation stuff that actually affects the, the, you know, the normal things that you do on your device and that your device does in the background that, uh, yeah, AI performance is, uh, is just as if not more important. You know, I, I think that Chris gave the best description of what AI is that I've ever heard from any project manager, product manager from any company. So good job on that. Uh, AI is, is a, a catch-all. It's a, it's a catch-all phrase that covers a million different things. But a couple of the examples he gave really explain what it means. Uh, there is uh, software that's built into the, the chip itself that helps decide the way to make hair look best in your photograph. That's AI. Uh, like Alex said, trying to figure out if you said the right hot word for your phone to turn on and ask you what you want it to do. That's AI. Uh, making a car recognize a stop sign so it comes to a slow rolling stop instead of just jamming on the brakes when it gets close enough. That's AI. AI is a million different things. And we all laughed. I, I know, especially Nick and I laughed, AI in the modem. Uh, no, that's <laughs> that's that makes perfect sense for, uh, you know, that doesn't mean it's going to make some sort of weird, smart, intelligent choice because a computer thinks like a human. No, it's just going to make the right choice. It's going to connect to the right signal that's the strongest. And that's all it needs to do. And it's still AI because AI means so many different things. But in the end, it means you have programmed a computer to make a choice almost as good as the choice a human being would make. Chris really kind of got there with that. And I enjoyed hearing his explanations. I thought he did a great job. Yep. Yeah. And and, and like Alex said, I think Google did a nice job, too, of showing sort of what AI can do in a phone with the Pixel 6. And Samsung's been playing around with that. And, you know, recently in the past few months, updated their object eraser with the ability to, you know, effectively erase shadows, right? And erase uh, reflections. And I know Derek on our team scanned in a bunch of old family photos, like he had family members sent it to him and stuff. And of course, they took pictures of photos from their phone. So there's these weird reflections on them and stuff. And he just goes in the object eraser and hits erase reflection. And now he's got a nice photo. That's the kind of quality stuff, right? If you had a human being with a button there that said, if you tap that button, it erases this part of the picture. That's an easy decision. It's easy for us to look at, say, a, a photograph and say, oh, that's just a weird reflection. Get rid of that. But when you teach a computer to do it and your phone is a computer, that's what artificial intelligence means. The, the computer isn't thinking. It's only doing what you've told it to do, but it's doing it well. Right. And I think sort of a lot of people's understanding of AI and perhaps sort of the cynicism around AI on phones in particular sort of stems from this this period that we had maybe four or five years ago where um, you had what I think I kind of call fake AI where every phone, you know, AI was this new thing and everyone wanted AI yeah. features on phones and there were these, yes. these software AI features that were basically like, basically an, an if statement, right? <laughs> basically just Tasker yeah. running on your phone. Um, 
you yeah, know, if, that's you could, if you, you could see say that's, green grass or blue sky increase saturation by 400%. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, is that intelligent to a certain extent? Well, kind of. Is it AI? No. Uh, and well, <laughs> there's a big difference between that and what you guys have just been talking about. And, you know, why uh, that is why AI really, you know, does matter now in terms of what everything your phone does. Right. And, and I think not to beat a dead horse, but the DLSS example, I think, is really one of the best ones in sort of modern history with the consumer device in that NVIDIA took your existing graphics card and is now running games three times faster on the same hardware because of AI. There's right. nothing with- else different there. It ran the games through an AI. The AI learned how the game looks and runs, and now it plays it back effectively as you're playing it at a way higher rate. And, and it looks better. Everything well, is there's better. That too. I, that's not even getting into that part. Yeah. Like just, just the fact that it can run it two or three times better with no hardware difference is mind-blowing. And I think... That's also another performance aspect on smartphones that yes, you know, as we start That's... to get into these smaller processes and we start to hit literal physical barriers, like getting smaller than two or three nanometers is, I mean, effectively impossible in physics, right? They start having to stack things and they have to come up with crazy architecture to well, get better performance physically out of these things. So AI is going to be kind of the way to see more improvements from processors and things like that in the future. But just five years ago, 10 nanometers was impossible. So, well, okay. I mean, I'm just saying right now, <laughs> yeah, and physical it, limitations that we know of, we're, we're getting pretty close to that. And so. I, I think what most people probably would understand if they thought about it, the smaller you make the process. And what that means is putting the same amount of, I'll call them transistors, even though that's really not what they are, in a smaller amount of space. That's what you have the same amount of transistor transistors that would be in a 10 nanometer square. Now they're in a four nanometer square. Right. So they're 60% smaller. That creates more heat and it can also affect efficiency poorly if it's not done the right way. Yeah. And and even on a most basic level. You think about when you're jumping a car, right? And you have your your positive and negative. If you start get, to get those things closer and closer together, what happens eventually? You get an arc. That energy is now touching the other gate in this case, right? So when you physically get those gates closer and closer together, you start to have processing errors because you physically cannot get them closer. <laughs> so it, I don't want to get into it. It's crazy. Yeah, you have to shrink everything and it makes everything harder to do. Yep. <laughs> it's okay, Nick. You were just very excited, and we love that. Yes. Yeah, I go. <laughs> um, I want to sort of uh, touch upon one last thing, unless uh, you guys have something else that you really are itching to talk about. Um, but I, I want to just uh, talk about what Chris spoke of with respect to the semiconductor uh, chip shortage, because I, I thought that answer that he gave was, I mean, I, I don't think it's... it's, it's um, not it's not new i think most companies you know have felt this immense um difficult period with the shortage uh, and they you know as chris mentioned he's never seen anything like this before and as big as this is um but he said something that i i want to kind of get you guys' opinion on he said he you know since all of this has happened 
Qualcomm has changed how we do product planning, how we look at the roadmap, how we look at technology. Um, and now everything is sort of integrated in the way that they are um, product planning, essentially. Um, and, I, you know, I, I don't think that is a very unique answer because I think all companies are are sort of re inventing the way that they're looking at their product roadmap to see, you know, what uh, what works for them, what doesn't work for them. But um, because of that answer that he gave and, and the idea that, you know, yes, Qualcomm is now changing the way that they're doing things. I kind of wanted to get what you guys thought of, about that. Like, did you feel like that is reflective and what you're seeing right now? And do you think that's going to continue until we we get out of this supply chain shortage? Well, we're never getting out of this supply chain shortage. We wouldn't be in this supply chain shortage had companies like Qualcomm had that foresight to begin with. It was easy to blame COVID and for six to eight months to a year, you know, even if you want to stretch that out to 18 months, sure, I'll give you that. But this is what we've always called supply and demand. You've increased the supply tenfold, at least in the past three years. You've made it more difficult to manufacture the product. So you've got a higher demand and you've got a lower yield means lower supply. That means it's just not going to be enough until you can find a way to make more. So adjusting your roadmap to maybe stretch out the time between product releases, uh, build products in advance, that that's the kind of intelligent business move that will help. But as, as long as we keep digitizing the world and putting chips in everything, and we only have three companies that can manufacture those chips, this shortage never goes away. Right. Totally. And if a company just so happens to have a fire or something in their factory, as has happened right. in That's... the past, then we have months of this kind of stuff because... Now everyone's backlogged. And and I'm not pointing any fingers because no, no, it's no. the entire industry. But this was just a lack of foresight. There For was sure. nobody in a boardroom somewhere that said, you know what? We're doing this and we're selling so much more and we're forecasted to sell more and more and more. We need to plan in case something arises where we can't make them as fast. But it, it's kind of like what you said, I think, in a previous conversation, Jerry, like it's all about the money. Like they're yeah. looking at what works best for them in that moment. And they're not going to think about it, wanting absolutely. to do that they're, foresight. Right. right? They're, they're looking at how to, how to make their stockholders happy because exactly. they want higher numbers next year than they did last year. A chip shortage is the best thing in the world for a company that makes chips. That means more people want their products than they can build. Right. Absolutely. Um, okay. I mean, okay. Before I, I end this and I ask you my favorite question of the week, um, did you guys have any other thoughts about anything else that you really want to talk about? So we should touch on Snapdragon 7 Gem 1 a little bit. Uh, I oh, think yeah. the information on that was a little bit <laughs> we, thinner than, than the 8 Gem 1. We totally uh, but, skipped over that. <laughs> <laughs> but it is kind of an important chip in its own right because, um, it, we don't really know what it's coming to just yet, uh, for sure, but we have a strong suspicion it will be, um, the chip that will power the nothing phone one. Um, we know from our own sources that 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 would be using an upcoming Snapdragon 7 series chip. This is the new upcoming Snapdragon 7 series chip. Um, and I think potential there is to do a lot of what was great about the previous generations, um, but just better and with more of what we expect from the 8 series, like AI and all that good stuff. So um, 
yeah, there's your potential for that kind of uh, that kind of phone to come in at a lower price, potentially with better battery life, while still doing a lot of the um, the things that we expect from a flagship, like fast screens, high uh, refresh rates, um, high resolution cameras, uh, that kind of stuff, while being not quite the same, you know, tip top performance levels as as the A series. So it'll be interesting to see how that shapes up uh, the kind of phones that it appears in. Um, and, uh, yeah, obviously the, it, it's a hugely important market segment and, uh, Qualcomm knows that. I, I think it's the most important market segment, right? That this is, has the potential to make the $500 smartphone great. And that's what companies like Samsung, who we mentioned before has been absent from this news. And that's because probably Samsung doesn't want to tell anybody in advance what they're going to do. But the A-series phones, everybody loved them because of the price. Everybody loved them because they can do almost everything and they can do it almost as well. Well, you make them perform a little bit better without raising the price too much. Everybody's going to love them more. And that's what keeps companies like Samsung afloat. It's interesting, actually, that you mentioned this because Chris actually talks about, you know, where their main focus is, which is high tier and premium Phones And because we did ask a question about, you know, MediaTek's mm-hmm. um, increased market share and, you know, how, you know, how do they look at that competition? Um, and, and he basically said, yeah, MediaTek is a strong competitor, but overall, you know, their focus is premium and high tier handsets. So I, I want to pose this to you guys and ask why you think he was and actually, I kind of noticed this throughout our conversation. It, it, the, the conversation was more about the eight chipset as opposed to the seven chipset. And there, he really didn't touch upon the seven. And is that a good thing that he didn't? Is that a bad thing? And, and why wasn't there a focus around that? Especially if, Jerry, you're saying that's an important market, market place or market share. I kind of feel like because if you look at the numbers they gave us, the improvements from the previous Snapdragon 7 series, which was the 778G, are not as maybe impressive as the improvements from the 8 to the 8 Plus, because we just got the 8 Gen 1. And now all of a sudden we have a chip that's 10% faster and 30% more power efficient. Whereas with the Snapdragon 7 Gen 1, this more or less the same numbers, right? But that's then a chip that was made last spring. (laughs) You know what I mean? So... We're talking a year-old chipset versus one that's only a few months old, and it's the same performance difference, effectively, between the two generations. So I kind of feel like that makes the 8 a more exciting announcement for them, whereas, like Jerry said, a lot of the the other things in the 7 announcement are kind of the the hidden, you know, gold in the the whole thing, because you have the 200-megapixel capture, you've got the FastConnect 6900 chip in there for better Wi-Fi and... I don't want to get into the AR stuff, but it has a lot to do with Qualcomm's AR announcements that are could be coming out the same day. Like a lot of AI performance enhancements. Like these are a lot of big deal things for those, you know, four or $500 phones that genuinely need these little details to make them feel not like a four or $500 phone. <laughs> right. And, and, you know, I don't know why they do it, but if you look at, especially the past few years, this is standard Qualcomm. They focus all their, you know, PR work, for lack of a better term, on the 8 Series. That's all right. they want to talk about. That's all they advertise. 
Meanwhile, you've got the seven series and even sometimes the six series chugging along with great improvements that end up in Motorola phones and cheap Samsung phones that nobody likes to talk about, but people still love to buy. Yep. Always very fascinating when you think about it that way. All right. Well, uh, thank you all for participating in this special episode. Uh, before I go, I obviously want to ask the ever so fun question, what made you happy this week? Uh, that is not work related. So who wants to go first? I'll go. I'll go. I got to go fishing. Oh, fun. Uh, first weekend in a long time. It was warm and didn't rain. How was that? Well, I, it's literally 200 yards from my house to where I fish. <laughs> I live on a little stream. Nice. I, well, it makes it convenient because, you know, I don't have to go wheel myself too far in the mud and stuff. Uh, I didn't catch any fish, but I had a good oh, time. Whatever. I mean, I think it's well, the, everything was muddy and the, the experience, river, though. Right? Yeah. The, the stream was up a little higher than normal. And but I got to sit down there and do nothing in the sun and hold a fishing pole and didn't have to worry about anything for a few hours. So that was awesome. I love that. So we've been uh, rewatching Breaking Bad. Oh, <laughs> um, uh, yeah. So I, I I saw it like ten years when, when did it finish twenty thirteen. Um, so it's been almost a decade since I watched it. My wife has never um, seen it, so we're we're kind of going through that now. And um, yeah, for me, it's been kind of long enough that I sort of remember the broad strokes of the plot, but not you know. I'm it's been long enough that I'm still kind of watching it fresh a little bit. Um, so it's been yeah, it's been really great. That show still holds up really really well. Uh, ten uh, years on, I love it. And Nick? Um, yeah, so my, my son does American Ninja Warrior. I, I think we've talked about this before. Um, I've wanted to do it with him for a while. Um, the, the gym that he goes to still doesn't have adult classes that work for my schedule. But in the meantime, I've been working on like losing some weight and, you know, just, I guess, feeling better about myself and, and all of that. So I, I'm really, I'm looking forward. I've, ha- I've made really good progress in the last few weeks. I'm really looking forward to maybe sometime in the summer being able to do that with him. So that's, that's been a very exciting thing in the last couple of weeks, actually, not just the last week. I love that. That's You're really sweet. You're just afraid that one day he's going to whoop your butt. Well, he I is. Mean, does that too. You know? Yeah, he's, he's going to be a ninja warrior and you're going to be a dad. He's, 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 already got, <laughs> he's already got the guns, right? So. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> All right. Uh, and for me, uh, well, I had a really busy past weekend and past couple of days. I uh, My best friend visited and we did a whole bunch of really fun stuff. It was really nice. The weather was lovely. And then I went to Ottawa. I know it, I went to Ottawa for a sort of work related thing. But when I was there, I got to spend time with some uh, really good friends. Um, and yeah, it's just it's really nice catching up with people and just eating good food and, and enjoying all of that. So that really made me happy this week. Um, Okay. Well, on that note, I would love to thank our Android Central listener, Android Central podcast listeners. Thank you so much, wherever you are, whenever you're listening to this, we really appreciate you and we'll catch you next week. Have a great one. See ya. Adios. See you later.